This is Gibbs to the 40, to the 30. Gibbs accelerating, steps out of a tackle, down the sideline, and into the end zone. An amazing play from Jameer Gibbs of 50 yards and a TD for the Yellow Jackets. Hello and welcome back to the Dynasty Zoltan podcast. I am here back scouting Jameer Gibbs doing a full prospect preview on one of the top running backs in the draft. And I could not be more excited to be joined by my good friend, Paul Patterson. He's known at Fantasy Freezer on Twitter. Welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, man. Very excited to be here and talk some Gibbs with you. Yeah, Gibbs is a very interesting prospect. He seems to be locked into that RB2 position in rookie rankings right now, but he's polarizing with a with a really high ceiling and a low floor. Um, let's start off by just talking about what's your process a little bit behind how you scout players and Jameer Gibbs specifically. Sure, yeah. So my process very much revolves around statistics and analytics. Um, I'm not necessarily the best creator of spreadsheets, um, but I feel like my strengths are like interpreting data and then taking in information uh, from all different sources that I trust and kind of synthesizing that into logical conclusions about range of outcomes and like what is expected to happen with players. Yeah. So when and that, I look and... At somebody, sorry. When I look at somebody like Gibbs, I think a big part of it is like, what should we expect from him uh, year one? And then what will that do for his market value moving forward? And that's going to be a big part of how I would evaluate him. Yeah. And that's definitely crucial from uh, especially a dynasty perspective. It's not only what's Jameer Gibbs worth now, it's what is he going to be worth after year one, because it's all about opportunity cost in, in dynasty. You know, one of the reasons I, I've been loving doing these prospect previews is talking to people with different backgrounds. And I think there's a lot to be said, you know, I'm obviously into analytics and film, but even people who specialize more in one than the other, you can get things like film grades from people who, you know, watch film. You can talk to a lot of people in the industry and get a good idea about what a player is like, even if you don't specialize in that, in that one area. And I think knowing your strengths and weaknesses as an analyst is definitely key as well. Um, speaking about Jameer Gibbs specifically, I thought he was a pretty easy eval from both a film and a data perspective. Um, what do you think about Gibbs from an evaluation perspective? Are you struggling with where to rank him or are you pretty clear on who he's going to be? No, I, I feel pretty comfortable with Gibbs. Uh, I, I have him firmly as my RB2 in the class. Um, he's in a tier of his own for me. And really, it's just going to come down to that final piece, which is the draft capital, which is so huge for every running back. It looks yeah. like he's going to get a good draft slot. He's done everything right up to this point. Um, so, you know, barring anything inexplicable where he falls to the end of day two or into day three, I, I feel pretty comfortable with where I've got him. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So let, let's get into the nitty gritty of things. Uh, for the listeners, if this is your first prospect preview, we're going to walk through basically all the basics, the background on Jameer Gibbs, his production, go into some of his strengths and weaknesses, both from a data perspective and a film perspective. And then we'll rank him among, you know, the 2023 rookie class, as well as startup rankings and all that good stuff. So starting with his background, you want to tell me a little bit about what led Jameer Gibbs to, uh, to where he is today as a potential round one pick? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Gibbs is a Georgia native and he was a four-star prospect coming out of high school. He was the eighth ranked running back in his recruitment class, went to Georgia Tech, played two seasons there. Uh, transferred to Alabama, where he had his incredible final season before declaring for the draft. So it's been all good for Gibbs from the beginning. He's definitely been a, like a highly sought after player, and that has continued right up till now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he came in as a four star. The concerns coming out of high school were similar to the concerns now, right? It was about his size. It was about could he run the ball at a pro at a prolific level, even in high school. Um, he didn't go above 250 carries. He only was getting about 20 carries a game in high school, which is not a lot, but he was all, and he wasn't receiving the ball because, you know, most high schoolers don't uh, get a lot, throw a lot to the running back, but Gibbs really has been an elite athlete and elite prospect for most of his life. Um, he weighed in at the combine at 199 pounds. Of course, that's something that we're going to be talking about when it comes to his potential upside and downside. 
Um, but let's touch a little bit on Gibbs's specific production leading to today. Uh, you mentioned he started at Georgia Tech. Uh, he he came out and played really from the jump as a freshman. Um, he had, you know, uh, he only played seven games as a freshman, but he got about 12 carries a game to go along with three catches, um, really excelled his second year led as the bell cow back getting about 12 carries and four catches a game. And then when he transferred to Alabama, how did he look after the transfer? I know people were very excited him going to a top offense. How do you think he performed versus expectations at Bama? I mean, I think he did all you can ask him to do, uh, especially for a guy of his size. Uh, you know, he really, he jumps off the screen in terms of his speed and explosiveness. And um, he was every bit the elite receiver that he's billed to be. Uh, he had a 93rd percentile target share uh, at, in Al- at Alabama. He was great as a receiver at Georgia Tech as well, but that continued at Alabama. And, uh, and also his efficiency spiked, which is predictable when you go from Georgia Tech to Alabama, where you have that jump in offensive line play but he certainly didn't waste it yeah absolutely and he he actually led alabama in receptions uh last season only 44 catches obviously bama didn't have any really excellent wide receiver weapons but he really did jump off the page especially in the receiving game and with that i think it's time to move to his strengths and weaknesses because i don't think you'll find a guy in this class who has kind of higher higher highs and lower lows um, as far as what his strengths and weaknesses go. So let's start off with what has popped out to you either analytically or on the film you've watched. What does Jameer Gibbs do well? Well, analytically and on film, Jameer Gibbs is an elite receiving running back. Um, most likely I, I, the best in the class is, is what I'd say. Um, he's just He's a great receiver. He can run routes. Like there's a difference between receiving running backs that are capable that can leak out of the backfield, like a Leonard Fournette versus somebody who is actually able to like run routes down the field. Like, you know, Christian McCaffrey is maybe a a hyperbolic sort of comparison, but he's able to run those sorts of routes, not just leak out of the backfield and do a screenplay. So he can run routes. He is a great uh, receiver of the ball, the way he transitions from catching to running after the catch like just the explosion and the and like the concentration impressed me. And that's all borne out in the numbers. Like there's a reason that he led Alabama in receptions. There's a reason that his receiving market share in college was so astronomically high. They want to get the ball in his hands because he's good at it and he's explosive after the catch. Yeah, absolutely. And, and speaking to that a little bit, Jameer Gibbs' target per route run was almost 25%, which is just an absurd number for a running back. The only higher number than that of, you know, a top prospect recently was actually Jonathan Taylor, but Jonathan Taylor ran about half of the routes of Jameer Gibbs. So when talking on a pure volume perspective, Gibbs clearly shown Uh, and speaking to his versatility as well, he lined up in the slot for 12% of his routes and he did very well either and out wide as well for 15% of his snaps. So only 70% of his snaps or of his uh, routes run were even from the backfield. Gibbs did a really good job out wide. He could take on a linebacker one-on-one. A lot of the times they would motion him out from the backfield to go to a five wide set and they'd have a linebacker on him in man coverage. And that linebacker just had no chance, whether it was from the backfield on a Texas route or on a simple whip route from the slot. Uh, Gibbs really looks like a slot receiver and, you know, one of the better ones in this class uh, if he were a receiver. So I, I don't think you can overstate how much of a receiving weapon he'll be in the NFL. Absolutely. And that Jonathan Taylor guy you mentioned, is he good? He's okay. You know, he's okay. I I don't, (laughs) I I wouldn't call him a one for one comp, but yeah, having, uh, I I mean, there really isn't anyone even close, like above 20, if you get below 23%, you get into the James Cook, DeAndre Swift range, but really uh, Jameer Gibbs stood out. And, and I think one of the other reasons, you know, especially being a running back, it's not like you're going to get that many passes down the field. I mean, his average depth of target was 2.5 throughout his college career, which is pretty good for a running back. But what you need to do is make moves after the catch. And 
that's my favorite part of Jameer Gibbs's game. When he gets in space, his ability to accelerate and, de- and decelerate, he's not a big guy. He's not even that creative with his moves, but you just can't get an angle on him because he's so good at changing speeds. He's so good at throwing a little hip fake or a little dead leg, and he's just going to explode and be by you. So on screen passes, on dump offs, on slants, he, he's just going to be electric after the catch. Yeah, he his burst just... You know, the 4-3-6 is what he ran at the combine, and you absolutely can see it, you know, in his highlight reel, just running by guys, changing speed, you know, going in a different direction on a dime. Like, I mean, it's it's going to be awesome to watch him do it in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. And and he he's just he has the ability to create yards after contact, even though he's not necessarily a powerful runner because he has the ability to make people miss. So my question for you, let's move on to his rushing game a little bit. Um, what do you see out of his profile running the football uh, that you like? Well, you know, from a data perspective, he checked the box that is important to me, which is yards per carry over six. Uh, yeah. It's weird because yards per carry is something we kind of dismiss out of hand in the NFL. And you'd think that that would be logical because it's so situation-based. But yards per carry in college running backs is a weird correlation to NFL success. So it's very strong signal seeing him over that six yards per carry, even though it, he obviously did benefit from a good situation. In terms of film, you know, he does look like he's capable of running between the tackles. Specifically, he just hits the hole really hard. Like he doesn't hesitate when he gets the ball, despite the fact that he's a little bit smaller. He runs with power and he runs quickly to that hole and gets through it. And he's able to kind of squeeze through tight spaces, I think. Um, but I wouldn't expect him to be a guy that's going to get 300 carries in the NFL, especially running between the tackles. It's kind of like Tony Pollard in the NFL, who's kind of like super efficient runner, but you know, we've never seen the Cowboys be willing to give him these tons of carries up the middle. I think you could see the same thing happen with Gibbs where he's probably capable of doing it, but I don't know if coaches are going to want to use him that way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, Alvin Kamara is another uh, comparison that we hear a lot. Um, Kamara recently has been getting a lot more carries, but he's lost efficiency. But early in his career, Kamara was the type of guy to get 12 or 13 carries a game, get five targets a game. And he was able to be, you know, a top three running back consistently with those numbers. Looking at, um, looking at Jameer Gibbs a little bit, you know, he, he has the ability to carry some workloads. So the last eight games of 2022, he had 126 carries, which is about 16 per game. He went over 18 carries three weeks in a row. These aren't huge numbers, but it's, it's not like he was only getting nine or 10 carries a game, right? We still have a large enough sample size that his numbers are pretty impressive. Um, if we're talking about still what we like from him running the football, to me, it's the it's the agility, number one. He's able to run the ball in the middle of the field between the tackles because he has the agility to make a guy miss really quickly. So on uh, in early interior pressure, he was able to do a little jump cut to get around and change his lanes. And once he gets to the second level of the field, he takes a 10-yard run and makes it a 75-yard run because of that speed and because of his vision in the secondary. So I, I loved watching his vision in the secondary. He was always able to look at the leverage of the defenders, especially the leverage of the defensive backs, and realize which way he should take it when he's in the open field. And that's why, even though he was only in the 47th percentile of 10-plus yard runs, those 10-plus yard runs accounted for 80% of his year, sorry, the 80th percentile for the number of yards. So he was getting a lot of 30-plus yard runs, even though he wasn't getting a ton of 10-plus yard runs. And I think that's something you can look forward to for Jameer Gibbs. Um, my favorite that's, stat. That's a, great, that's a great stat. I mean, that's a home run hitter right there. Uh, yeah, I want to say, going back to your, your point on the attempts per game, we don't want to do what we don't want to do is try to make a comparison to someone like James Cook, who was seen as like a lighter receiving back who went in the second round last year and try to paste that onto Gibbs because it's not the same thing at all. James Cook has never been trusted with a workload in college anywhere near the size of what you just described. So Gibbs is definitely in like a different tier of prospect. And the fact that he was able to get that work at Alabama puts him in a different category. So we don't want to look at like 190 pound receiving back and sort of just pigeonhole him into that kind of a role. 
Yeah, he fits much more into the Camara Swift, not quite Travis Etienne levels of, of usage in college, but he fits into a role where he hypothetically could see a larger workload in the NFL. Um, I want to touch on one more strength before we move on to Jameer Gibbs' weaknesses. And for me, it's it's a little bit of a detail, but it's the timing of cutbacks. And this is partly vision and partly just tempo, which I think tempo is really how I want to describe how, how Gibbs succeeds. Um, Gibbs is able to take outside runs and he's going to stretch them outside. He can get around the edge, but what he excels at doing is reading the leverage in his blockers and cutting up field at the right time. And that's so crucial because he's not going to get hit behind the line of scrimmage very much. He's in the 82nd percentile of negative rushes, which for a guy, his size is really impressive. Bam obviously had a go to line, but Georgia tech didn't really what Gibbs excels at doing is figuring out when he should cut up the field. And once he does, he does it with great bursts. So that's, that's one more way that Gibbs can be successful, even though he doesn't have a lot of size. So moving on to his weaknesses, um, I'll get your take, but the one that we have to start with, I think is with his size. And what I wanted to start with was why does his size matter? So obviously people are honing in on it, but when we're talking about, you know, dynasty value and ultimately fantasy points, cause that's what counts. Why does, why is his size or lack thereof important? So it is important. And I think it's kind of a multifaceted issue. So Gibbs is 199 pounds. Uh, you know, at his way in at the combine. And that, I think, rightfully has some people concerned. I just think people are maybe overstating the concern. And the reason for that is what we've seen over the last like 10 years or so is heavier running backs have scored more fantasy points, like 210 pound and over running backs have on average scored a lot more fantasy points than smaller backs. The issue is that there's some sampling problems there where heavier running backs are getting drafted earlier, they're getting more opportunities, and there's more of them. And so all of these things are leading to kind of a skewed sample. Uh, however, when you take a guy like Gibbs who's going to get draft capital, right, who's going to go early in the draft, presumably, you're much more likely to get that opportunity. And with that opportunity, we've seen that he can excel. So. I don't think it's necessarily just a weight issue. I think it's an issue where smaller running backs aren't getting volume because they're smaller running backs. And then because of that, they're not scoring fantasy points. Um, but I think with Gibbs, we're going to see something a little bit different. And uh, the other thing is, is, well, I guess I sort of covered it, but yeah, coaches have a tendency to maybe overemphasize the size component, but if a team is willing to take Gibbs as early as we think, I think that might overrule that coaching narrative that coaches prefer these bigger running backs because they're going to, they take a swing on him, they're going to use him. Yeah. But the, the difficulty to that comes in, like we know that rushes are not as important as receptions, right? I would rather take a running back with 180 carries and 80 targets than, than 250 carries and 20 targets. We know it's about, you know, two and a half to three times more value for a catch than a rush. The issue with Gibbs is to me, whether or not he's going to get at least 10 touch, 10 carries a game, because DeAndre Swift is going to scare a lot of managers based on how he did last season, because DeAndre Swift, while he was an excellent player at times, and while he was quite efficient running the football, he was never relied upon because he didn't do the simple things running the ball. He didn't create, he didn't convert the third and twos. He didn't hit the obvious holes. Now I think that Gibbs has better vision than Swift in some sense, but the other issue is that we know that touchdowns leads to having that really high end outcome for a running back. So you look at Alvin Kamara, you look at Austin Eckler, they're getting 15 plus rushing touchdowns a season. And that's what really makes them an elite back. I looked at some of his comparables in college and Jameer Gibbs, it just didn't score touchdowns at the same rate. So he scored a touchdown on 3.9% of his carries. So let's call it 4%. Other players around his range, Michael Carter at 4.3%, Naheem Hines at 5%, DeAndre Swift at 4.5%. Those are not the names you want to be on when it comes to touchdown production in the NFL. Compare that to guys like Rashad White at 8.2%, Travis Etienne at 10.2%, Alvin Kamara at 7.6%. 
These guys are scoring touchdowns, basically double or more than Jameer Gibbs. So my concern with Gibbs is, is he going to even get, you know, six or seven rushing touchdowns in the NFL? And will any of them be from within the 20 yard line? Or is he like DeAndre Swift going to be resigned to these, you know, highlight plays and that's it and come off the field for Jamal Williams? So I think DeAndre Swift is actually a great jumping off point to talk about Gibbs because there are some similarities and it's interesting that they would scare people off because I think that people should actually see them as more of a positive. The thing about DeAndre Swift is he was a great prospect. He did have a great skill set, And while DeAndre Swift, the player didn't work out, I would make the DeAndre Swift bet every time because he does possess all of the qualities that we should be looking for in running backs. Now, for one reason or another, it hasn't amounted to elite fantasy success. I think a lot of that has to do with injuries. And then another portion of it is coaching decisions. And another portion of it is just he seems to be a player that's prone to mistakes. And that doesn't really have anything to do with his size or his ability to score touchdowns in college. It's more about his instincts as a runner and his failures in pass protection, things like that, that are kind of independent from the Gibbs discussion. So like, if Gibbs is everything that Swift is, minus you know the mistakes and the injuries, I think what you're going to find is an elite fantasy asset. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned Eckler, though, as a player that scores a lot of touchdowns because I, I believe he's he weighed in at his, I don't think he went to the combine, but at his pro day, he was like yeah. 201, 202. Like he was, he was on the lighter side as well. I don't think he was a guy coming out where you'd project him to get this large goal line role, but he's excelled at every other aspect of the game to the point where they're willing to, you know, give him that work in close. So I think for Gibbs, I could see it either way. Like it's definitely not a guarantee he's going to get that goal line work, but it might just depend on the the coach that he lands with and, you know, how much faith they're willing to put in the smaller guy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I want to circle back to what you talked about really to open the show about whether Jameer Gibbs is a good purchase now or whether you should do it in a year And DeAndre Swift was the RB2 in September of last year. Like, let's not forget how highly DeAndre Swift was ranked. People will forgive a lack of touchdowns. They'll say it's coming to regression. They'll say the coach just didn't trust them as a rookie. So even if Jameer Gibbs only gets a few touchdowns his rookie year, like DeAndre Swift did, it might be okay for his dynasty value if he's still going to get 50, 60 catches. And unlike DeAndre Swift, Jameer Gibbs has basically no injury history to speak of. And from a film perspective, I don't think he makes nearly as many mistakes. I don't think he has, you know, some of the attitude issues that might've come up with Swift and like Austin Eckler Gibbs does have a body that it looks like it can put on a few pounds, right? He, he looks jacked. He doesn't look that skinny and you know, he's not Austin Eckler jacked, but I'm not that worried about Gibbs. I don't think he's going to be a 17 touchdown guy because you shouldn't project that from anyone especially not a guy less than 200 pounds but i do think he can be good enough in the red zone tack that on to his big play potential and i think he could be a good player rushing the football yeah that market value point is huge like that's one of the biggest factors for me in evaluating jameer gibbs if he goes in that late first early second round window we have seen such incredible success in terms of a value accrual perspective where these guys come in and no matter what they do, they are more valuable the next year. James Cook did nothing as a rookie and he is more valuable now than he was this time last year. And you look at guys like, I mean, Brees Hall was fantastic, obviously. Kenneth Walker had kind of an up and down rookie season, you know, from a rushing efficiency standpoint, he actually wasn't that amazing. He actually had some some mistakes. He didn't do anything as a receiver and he's going higher than he was last year. And he's going higher than wide receivers like Garrett, uh, not Garrett Wilson, but Chris Olave and Drake London, who, in my opinion, were more impressive at their position than Walker was at his position. But this scarcity just pushes these guys up because they're young. And if they're healthy and they're young and they're projected to get touches, it's like they're so valuable. So with yeah. someone like Gibbs, if he gets that draft capital, it's almost a lock for me that he's going to be as valuable, if not more valuable, the next year, which gives you just kind of a free year, like just a free look to see you know, does he have that elite ceiling? And if not, you just flip him and you, you re-roll the next year. Yeah, exactly. And and I want to get into that running back to wide receiver comparison a little bit later when we get to where he's ranked in this class for you. Uh, but one point I did want to touch on is that 
Look at that 2022. Look at that 2020 class. Jonathan Taylor, Cam Akers, J.K. Dobbins, DeAndre Swift. These guys did a varying level of things, and they all went up in value. Cam Akers had three games at the end of the year where he had high volume and low efficiency, and all of a sudden he's a round three startup pick after he was going round six, seven the year before. So you're completely right. It seems like these running backs, as long as they do anything, and Jameer Gibbs is the type of guy that he will flash. You know, He will at least do what James Cook did. Uh, I think he'll do way more than James Cook did, but he will at least flash. If a team takes him in the top 40 picks, he's going to get you know at least 30-plus targets because they're going to work him into the system. I think it's more likely to be 50 to 60 targets, and that's an easy way to get fantasy points, right? If you get 40 catches, that's 400 yards right there in fantasy points. So I think Jameer Gibbs is a very good bet to increase in value from his rookie to his sophomore year. Um, one stat I wanted to give to address a potential weakness, and this is my favorite Jameer Gibbs stat. I read the math on this about three times because I thought it was, you know, couldn't be the couldn't be possible. If you look at Jameer Gibbs running outside the tackle, so running off tackle or outside the end or a jet sweep, he had 189 carries for 1,068 yards. If you look at Jameer Gibbs carries between the tackles, so Garter uh, right off the center, he had 189 carries, the exact same number, for 1,074 yards, six more yards. He was the exact same rusher, almost down to the yard between the between the tackles and outside the tackles. Obviously, yards per carry is not the only metric to look at, but... Jameer Gibbs clearly can gain yards between the tackles, and it's just a myth that he can't. The way that he does it is with his agility, with his burst. Yes, a few big plays make up for it, but that's the same can be said running outside the tackles. So just want to put it to bed that Jameer Gibbs can't run between the tackles. That is a ludicrous statistic, and hats off to you for figuring that out. Uh, as far as what you said about making it up with big plays, I do not think that should be an issue at all because Saquon Barkley and Kenneth Walker are both the exact same kind of player where, well, actually even less so because you said that uh, Gibbs had a very low percentage of negative yardage runs, but in terms of, you know, small gain, small gain, big gain, that's Barkley and Walker. Barkley's been that his whole career and Walker as a rookie had like the highest percentage of negative yardage runs. And it didn't matter because occasionally he would break one for 40 yards and he would do some great stiff arm and everybody's like, Oh my gosh, he's amazing. So, you know, if we see that same thing from Gibbs, nobody's going to be worried about his rushing ability after his rookie season. Yeah. It's basically the difference between expected points added and success rate, right? So Walker, he might only have a 20% success rate, but you know, four carries for, for negative yards. But on that fifth carry, if he gets a 60 yard run, the expected points added of those five plays is quite positive. So I am so glad you mentioned Saquon Barkley because this is the other point I wanted to get to. In my data model, the number one comp for Jameer Gibbs is Saquon Barkley. Now, I know they're different size. I know they play the game differently. But just based on their college production statistics, as well as you know a whole bunch of other stats my model incorporates, over 30 data points, Saquon Barkley is the number one comp. The other top comps, Rashad White, Brees Hall, and Devin Akane. So Jameer Gibbs is in some pretty good company analytically, and you can't sleep on the potential that even at his size, he can put up, you know, Saquon Barkley type numbers, probably fewer touches, fewer carries, but in terms of overall output. So what I'm hearing is that Jameer Gibbs is going second overall in the draft. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I uh, I hope the NFL has learned a little bit since then. If if he goes second overall, I feel like Jameer Gibbs might be shooting up some draft boards. Who has the second and the Damian Pierce season? and the Damian Pierce are, uh, owners would be quite upset. I was just about to say, I would just nuke Damian Pierce. Oh yeah, man, that'd be the best part of it. Um, all right, so let's move on uh, to talk about. I, I I honestly think that we've talked about player comps enough. Uh, Jim for Jameer Gibbs. Are, are there any other ones that you think fit the bill perfectly or that we haven't mentioned? Well, I'd love to throw out one that my uh, my friend Jagger May uh, at Fantasy Blue Chip who uh, threw out for me because he's he's much more of a film guru than I am, and he compared Jameer Gibbs to Jamal Charles, which I think is a kind Ooh. of a fun throwback. Uh, but that's what that's what he said he sees in the game. I mean, they both have that speed and that that home run threat ability. And Jamal Charles, also a smaller guy, I believe he was under 200. So 
that's kind of an interesting one. He was pretty fantasy relevant back in the day. Um, I've also yeah, heard love- CJ Spiller as a name that's been thrown out. So those are interesting to me. Yeah, two great comps. CJ Spiller was a guy that I had as well um, on my uh, prospect profiles I put out for my Patreons. DJ Spiller was one of my uh, film comps. And Jamal Charles is an excellent comp as well. You know, Jamal Charles was able to work up to get more than 250 carries a few times in the NFL, but he was really that home run threat, right? He was the guy who could break off those 60 yard plus runs. He had 40 plus catches in four seasons and that, you know, he had a few injuries as well. I think Jamal Charles is a really good comp. I try to shy away from comps where the player's hairstyle looks the same because I think that they're lazy. But uh, in this case, I think it's spot on. Jamal Charles, by the way, also 199 pounds. So that is a spot on comparison. Um, I don't have too many to add. I think we've mentioned all of the NFL player comps that I've had. Um, Are there any teams that you think Jameer Gibbs is a good fit for? Well, how about uh, the heir apparent to Jamal Charles? And he goes to the Kansas City Chiefs at 31 overall. Wow. Wow. And he would fit in so well, basically doing what Clyde Edwards Alaire couldn't do. Um, Isaiah Pacheco is a really good running back, but really only running the football and he's not going to take 25 touches a game either. So that would give Jameer Gibbs a hell of a role there. I think it's, it's probably like too perfect, you know? Um, So it probably won't happen, but it's actually not my favorite landing spot. That's my second favorite landing spot. Okay. Um, and it would be fun to just see Jameer Gibbs be like fancy Jarek McKinnon, basically. Um, yeah. But uh, but no, I, I think actually the Cincinnati Bengals at 28th overall would be just a fantastic spot for him. Uh, the Bengals were seventh in running back target percentage last season, and yeah. that's with Nixon and Samaju Pirine, neither of which can hold a candle to Jameer Gibbs as a receiver. Uh, Pirine's gone. Nixon is washed and overpaid. And so what you could do here is you could bring in that next, you know, elite running back to join that offense with Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T Higgins, like it would just be electric. Yeah, that would be incredible. I mean, the talent on that offense would be absurd. I think interestingly, some of the better landing spots for other running backs like Philly and Atlanta are not the best landing spots for Jameer Gibbs. My favorite spot for him, when you said Eric Perrin, I thought you were stealing this from me. LA Chargers. Austin Eckler gets traded and he steps right into that Eckler role. They know exactly what a player like that can do. I know they're not the same type of player. Gibbs is actually more explosive in my opinion. That would be quite incredible as well. And if he went to the Chargers, people would literally just plug in Austin Eckler's stats as his projection. So from a market value perspective, that landing spot would be absurd. Yeah, I love that. I did not have that on my list. I did, however, write not the Eagles in all caps. Yep. Uh, So I'm with you on that one. Uh, I'm an Eagles fan, and I can tell you that Jameer Gibbs, as much as like I love the player, his skill set just doesn't fit what the offense in Philadelphia is trying to do. We don't can, throw can you, running can backs. Can you go into that? Yeah, go into that a bit more. Yeah, we don't throw to running backs. Uh, you know, mobile quarterbacks in general just don't target running backs that often, which makes sense because in situations yeah. where less mobile quarterbacks would target running backs, players like Jalen Hurts just run for 20 yards. Uh, and so he doesn't do that. But also, our offense in particular just doesn't steam up a lot of touches for running backs in the passing game. It's like, it's A.J. Brown, it's Devontae Smith, and it's Dallas Goddard in the short game, intermediate game, deep game. And so, you know, Sanders, Gainwell, they did not get a lot of work in the passing game. And yeah. so I wouldn't love that fit with Gibbs. And also, you know, the way that we run in the running game, I feel like we're looking for more of a power guy, more of a, of a bigger body Um you know, Sanders isn't a huge running back. Penny isn't necessarily a massive running back, but I think that those types of players fit a little bit better with what they're trying to do in the running game. So it would just, it would cap his ceiling. You know, yeah. he would lose what little goal line work he might get to Jalen Hurts and he just wouldn't get the targets. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough because rushing quarterbacks help running backs in terms of their efficiency on the ground. But I agree with you other than the, you know, read option game. I don't think Jameer Gibbs is a good fit for their system. And like you said, he would not get nearly the same amount of running backs targets. Dallas Goddard was top five in terms of tight end manufactured touches last year. We know AJ Brown is amazing after the catch. He's going to get his screen passes as well. That would be a bad fit. And and I think Philly is smart enough to know that they, that it would be a bad fit. And that if they're going to invest that much in a running back, it's going to be a guy, you know, more like a Bichon or a Charbonnet or even a Kendra Miller type running back than a guy like Jameer Gibbs. Um, 
So let's move on to talk about, we're going to finish this up with your rankings. Where does Jameer Gibbs, let's start off. This is an easy one. You mentioned it already. Rookie running back number two, you said. Do you see any draft situation? Let's assume he at least goes in the top 60 picks. Do you see any draft situation where you would move him up or down? If he goes in the top 60 picks, I think the only way that I I could move him down is if somebody like a Charbonnet or a Sean Tucker somehow also goes in the second round to like the nuts landing spot, like the perfect spot. And even then I'd be hesitant just because I think there's kind of a a gulf in terms of the, the upside potential with someone like Gibbs. So no, I'm barring something absolutely absurd, like, like falling out of round two, you know, I I don't see him moving from that RB two spot. Now he could move in my overall ranks, uh, but I think he's pretty locked into RB two. Yeah, and that's a good segue into the overall ranks. I mean, I, I can say that Jameer Gibbs is my RB2 as well. He's in a tier of his own. I have each of the top three running backs in a tier of their own. So the only guy who could pop up above Gibbs would be Charbonnet. And that would, like like you said, that would take top 50 draft capital and the perfect landing spot. And maybe, you know, the New York Giants take Jameer Gibbs to like fill in for Saquon <laughs> after, you know, the franchise tag year and it would hurt his dear one production. Like it would take something incredible for that to happen. So let's talk about the more interesting thing. Jackson Smith, the Jigba versus Jameer Gibbs. That's really the question at the five, six for a lot of people. Uh, maybe the one Oh four in a super flex. Um, this is the one Oh two in a one QB league. Who are you taking between Gibbs and Jackson Smith, the Jigba and why? Because we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, Kenneth Walker. I'm looking at his ADP now. He is going above Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and Drake London. Uh, I don't know how long that's going to last with Garrett Wilson shooting up boards. But still, you know, Garrett Wilson had a better rookie year than Kenneth Walker did. You look at a guy like, you know, Brees Hall is still going above them. What's your thought process on JSN versus Gibbs? Yeah, this is the debate, isn't it? Um, yeah. yeah. So let's just assume, you know, for the sake of this discussion that both players get drafted at the place that they're expected to get drafted, right? Because, like, crazy things can happen with either guy. Let's just assume JSN is, like, you know, mid-teens first round, you know, something like that, mid-first round draft pick, and Gibbs goes either late first or early second. In that scenario, I would be taking Gibbs ahead of JSN uh, for two reasons. So in fantasy football, basically I'm prioritizing two things above all else. Uh, number one is upside and number two would be market value. So, you know, I have an asset. What I'm trying to do with that asset is either maximize the fantasy points that they can score upside, or I'm trying to get rid of that player to get a different player whose upside I can maximize. That's where the market value comes in. So I need those two things. And I think in that scenario, I think Gibbs has JSNB in both categories. I think he would be more likely to hit an upside scenario, you know, a 20 point per game season, uh, you know, the, the ceiling outcome of like a CMC 2019, you know, or, or some version of that, then JSN would be to hit his ceiling outcome of, you know, a Cooper cup style season. So I would have Gibbs ahead in terms of upside. And then in terms of market value, I think this past class is like a perfect example of what we're talking about. Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and Drake London had three of the best rookie wide receiver seasons, like from an advanced metric standpoint that we've seen in the past decade. Like, I think it's, it's going under the radar because they all did it. And also with London, it's because of like the weird Atlanta offense thing. And and also with, and also with Alave, right? Like his raw counting stats weren't that high, but if you look at, you know, targets per route, fantasy points per route, yards per route run, he's basically top five right behind like Jefferson and Beckham in terms of how good he was as a rookie. Yeah, these, these guys were absolutely elite. I mean, these are can't-miss players in yeah. the NFL, like top legit top five upside in their future. And yet, they're still going behind Kenneth Walker, who was fine as a rookie, but even showed us that he doesn't have the pass game upside that we were already worried about in his rookie season. And people are just telling themselves, like, oh, well, he was a rookie and he'll get more receiving work. It's like the most optimistic picture that you can possibly paint gets painted for every running back going into year two. Like it doesn't matter what their weakness is. They're going to fix it. You know, their coach is going to find a way to get them more involved in this area of the game. It's just like, they can't fail. And with someone like Gibbs who has such a high floor as a receiver, I just don't see a world where he's less valuable than JSN after the rookie year. And if he is, it's so minimal that I'd just rather take the upside swing. 
Yeah, and that's, you know, I struggle a ton with this question. For those of you who listen to my JSN pod, I am higher on him than I am on Gibbs. Like, I prefer them one-to-one as prospects. But obviously, we are comparing apples to oranges. The interesting thing about running backs, if you look at startup ranks this year, is that 12 wide receivers go before the fifth running back. Now, that could be either seen as a good or, and sorry, and uh, four wide receivers go before the first running back. Now that could either be seen, I'm not including rookies in there. That could be seen as a good or a bad thing for Jameer Gibbs. Cause what it means is that it's the scarcity at the running back position, especially when you look at young running backs, that's causing that to happen, right? You look at a guy like Kenneth Walker, you were talking about Travis Etienne is another interesting option to compare to a guy like Jameer Gibbs. These are players who had good years, good rookie years. I'm counting that as a rookie year for ETN. And that's all they need to be a top 36 pick in startups because there aren't any any other running backs to choose from because they all get hurt or they get old really fast. A guy like Josh Jacobs coming off an RB1 year in his fourth season is being drafted in the fourth or fifth round of startups. Meanwhile, you look at a guy like T Higgins, who's coming off like a wide receiver 14 year in his third season is being drafted ahead of Jacobs. So it's just, it's tough, right? Cause you have the longevity at wide receiver, but the replacement value at wide receiver is higher. And there are way more good young receivers in the NFL. If you look at, you know, I have JSN fourth on my board since 2018 among wide receivers, which is awesome. That's great. But there are so many good young wide receivers, you know, Amon Ra, Waddle, Alave, Higgins, A.J. Brown, C.D. Lamb, obviously, even going down to Traylon Burks, Christian Watson. There are not nearly as many running backs I'm excited about because you get to the DeAndre Swift, the Javante Williams who got hurt, the Najee Harris who isn't very good, the Ramondre Stevenson with a questionable role. So Gibbs has the opportunity to shoot up draft boards, and I think his floor is a lot higher than most people think because of the fact that there just aren't that many other good running back options out there. Yeah, that that wide receiver point is so key with all these young wide receivers. The key with JSN is that he actually has to reach a point where he can significantly differentiate himself from those names that you just said, right? The T. Higgins, the Amon Ross St. Brown, right? To get yeah. into that top three startup range and to like feel good about that click right like it's one thing for him to be in the third round of startups it's another thing for him to be in the third round of startups and be significantly different than wide receivers you can get two rounds later like that's a very hard thing to achieve and so yeah there is an outcome where he comes out and posts a justin jefferson-esque rookie season i'm not going to say that's impossible but for Gibbs, he just has to do so much less as a rookie based on what we've seen with guys like Kenneth Walker, guys like Travis Etienne, in order to vault up to the top there because there's so few options that are young and elite at the running back position. Like Brees Hall tore his ACL, and he's still like the third running back going off the board. He might not yeah. even be 100% this entire season. Like it is desperate out there, you know, for the running back position. And, and honestly, I can tell you, if Gibbs gets that top 40 draft capital – He'll be my dynasty RB five before he even steps on the field. Yeah. And that was my next question. I mean, you compare the RB 10 Javante Williams, who has, I I love Javante more than I think anyone else, but he's coming off a really bad injury. He's never had an RB one season. He is your running back 10 while your wide receiver 10 is Chris freaking Alave, right? Like there are just, there was just more depth at the wide receiver position. Um, Touching on what you said about your overall running back rankings, that's where I wanted to get to next. He'd be your RB5 behind Hall, McCaffrey, JT, and Bijan. Am I right about that? You nailed it. Yeah, the order I have in front of me is Bijan, JT, CMC, Hall, and then Gibbs, barring that top 40-ish draft capital. Uh, Just because with Kenneth Walker and Travis Etienne, I see limited players. I see two guys that were not really used in the passing game, uh, ETN was a much bigger disappointment in that regard because I was expecting him to get more touches in that in that aspect and maybe they'll come but you know he's also entering his third season in the league as opposed to Gibbs who's coming in as a rookie much younger player and he's going to have that value insulation as yeah. a high draft pick where I'm just comfortable taking him ahead because I think that they'll produce similarly and I think Gibbs is more likely to gain value as opposed to lose it right like ETN's entering that territory that Josh Jacobs was in last year, where even if he has a great season, people are going to just look at the next year and be like, well, he was great, but you know, now he's like 25 and a half. Like 
he's yeah. going to the end of his contract. Like, do we he's think he's already he's got an ACL? Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's so hard for these later, you know, running backs in there later than their first contracts to gain value. You want to grab those guys that are rookies that are shooting up, even though it seems scary, like, oh, they haven't played, but we've seen with JT, we've seen it with Hall. These guys are just rocket ships. Yeah, and, and I want to get really quickly to my rankings. Um, so I do combined film and quantitative analysis, and I get to, you know, one all-in number that I use for my rankings. Gibbs ranks number eighth out of running backs since 2018. So he's a very good prospect. Let me tell you who those other uh, – I'll, I'll tell you the top 13. We got JT, Bijan, Javante, Saquon in a tier of their own. I think we agree Gibbs doesn't touch them as a prospect. I, I'm higher on Javante than others, but we can skip that one. Then Gibbs is in a tier with DeAndre Swift, Brees Hall, Travis Etienne, and Darius Geis. Now, what that tells me is that you just put Jameer Gibbs over Travis Etienne, Brees Hall, DeAndre Swift, and Saquon Barkley, right? Those are basically guys right behind him in your rankings now. And that's absolutely right, because if he's in the same tier as them as a prospect, and he's a year younger than Brees Hall, three years younger than Travis Etienne, three years younger than DeAndre Swift, and whatever, five years younger than Saquon Barkley, he deserves to be in a higher tier. You look at guys right after him, Devin Atkane, Nick Chubb, Kenneth Walker, and Josh Jacobs, and again, he should be above all of those guys. So we've now essentially put him as the default RB5. There's an argument that to even take him above a guy like Brees Hall, above a guy like Christian McCaffrey, that's not something that I'm necessarily recommending. But what this tells me is that Jameer Gibbs and especially the 106 in startup drafts is an absurd value because the 106 right now is going behind the RB9 Najee Harris. It's going in the late fourth round, which is just absolutely ridiculous. The startup I'm running right now, it went in the late third round after guys like Saquon Barkley, Travis Etienne. And that is just not what should be happening anymore because we know that the 106 is going to give you Jackson Smith, the Jigba or Jameer Gibbs, or if by, you know, some crazy reason, something else happens to a guy like Zach Charbonnet. So startup picks as always are being undervalued. Sorry. Rookie picks are being undervalued in startup drafts and Jameer Gibbs, you know, I, I haven't factored him into my rankings yet, but I think he'll be my RB five. I, I might put Kenneth Walker above him because I did prefer Kenneth Walker as a prospect by a tiny bit, but I think given the receiving upside, Gibbs needs to be over him. Speaking about Travis Etienne, I think his receiving upside is much higher than he showed. He had that production in college, but again, Gibbs has to be above him at this point because he's got three years and two healthy ACLs on him. Yeah, I think I think everything you're saying makes perfect sense. And I'll obviously rookie picks always undervalued. I've been trying to make trades to kind of finagle my way into that 105, 106 range before people yeah. get wise to the fact that that's, you know, the value pocket where you're either going to get one of those big three quarterbacks if they fall, or you're going to end up with a really, really good wide receiver or a really, really good running back. Like no matter what, you can't fail. Um, you could be left holding the bag at 107, but it might even be worth trying to grab that pick just in case someone in your league makes like a really weird pick. Like they're really high on Quentin Johnson or something. And you get one of those guys. I'm not against it. You know, if you can get that done. So totally agree. Great value there. I will say I have strongly considered making Gibbs my overall one Oh two in super flex rookie wow. drafts. If he wow. gets that first round draft capital first round for me is the cutoff though. Um, first round running backs are just like the biggest cheat code in terms of safe production. And, and value accrual, like the list of busts of first round running backs is so short. Like no matter what they do, like Najee Harris was not good as a rookie, but yeah. he got a bunch of touches and he scored some fantasy points and he was like an early second round startup pick the next year. Like that's just how it goes with these first round running backs. They get fed the ball and people are looking ahead. They're like, wow, five years of this? I get five years with the fifth year option? Oh my goodness. Like this guy's insane. I'm going to trade everything, you know, for this guy, build my team around him. And so I think that the argument would be there. Now, if the market is going to keep those quarterbacks ahead, I'm not going to go drastically against the market. Like I'll try to take Gibbs at efficient prices, but I think he yeah. might be the second best option in a vacuum in rookie drafts. And if you look at the second half of the first round, we got Tampa, we got the Chargers, we got the Cowboys, the Bengals, the Saints, the Eagles, the Chiefs, like you said, closing out the round. There are a lot of landing spots that would – boost i mean we saw what happened to clyde edwards alaire when he got drafted by kansas city with the i think it was the last pick around one he went up a ton in value i'm not 
so I, I I'm really glad we had this discussion because I've been asked uh, by one of my patrons, Miles, a bunch about you know how should we be looking at JSN versus Gibbs, given that Kenneth Walker is going above Garrett Wilson, right? Like, and I didn't know. I I talked it out. My instinct was you know take the stud wide receiver, but I am moving Jameer Gibbs above JSN in my rookie rankings. I I really you know appreciated having this conversation because that gives me a lot of clarity there. He he just has the higher upside. He has the higher floor. And even though I prefer JSN as a prospect, ultimately market value is how I'm basically always going to make my decisions. Um, and it's interesting what you say about the quarterbacks because you know I did a whole thread about these quarterbacks not really running the football. They don't really have high upside. You know. I, I could totally see Jameer Gibbs being worthy of the 102, even though I acknowledge that he's not going to go as the 102 in Superflex drafts. Yeah. I, so, I yeah, this that. was, yeah. So, this was an awesome discussion. We went long, not surprised. I told you it's okay for the top six guys. We might go a little longer than half an hour. Um, why don't you tell us where we can find some more of your work? Absolutely. All my work is over at dynastyfootballfactory.com. Uh, write some dynasty content, some best ball content. Um, been slacking a little bit lately. Uh, just had a baby recently, but been getting back into Congrats. it, writing some articles. Thanks a lot. And uh, big thing, big announcement. DFF is getting ready to drop a Discord for all subscribers where, you know, people like myself and our other analysts are going to be in there just answering questions, hanging out, talking trades. Uh, I think it's going to be huge uh, for what we're doing over there. So check it out, dynastyfootballfactory.com and just, uh, you know, hit me up on Twitter at fantasy freezer. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely make sure to check him out and check out dynasty football factory. Uh, like Paul said, I mean, one of the great things about subscribing to a place like that is there are people with different strengths, right? You get the analytical strengths, you get the film strengths. Personally, I've really enjoyed talking to you about values and market values and how to analyze it and things like that. Um, Paul, this isn't going to be your last time on this podcast. Uh, as my listeners know, I'm going to go through all of the relevant rookie prospects. Uh, this next week, I think I'm going to release at least one a day. And Paul will be back sometime in the next few weeks to discuss another of the top six prospects, Anthony Richardson. So if you enjoyed this one, definitely subscribe, like, rate, review, et cetera, to the pod and make sure to tune back in for next time. Thank you all for listening to the Dynasty Zoltan podcast. And I, you will be hearing from me soon.